second episode of the deer horn i'm your host jay ryan and this is a see it lombard podcast for the curious and committed first off i just wanted to say thanks to everyone that took the time to listen to episode one Uh, i've got a lot of great feedback and uh, a lot more people listen than i thought would so thank you so much for that I also wanted to give a shout out to Tim Held from Podular Modcast. Uh, he gave a shout out to the pod on his show. And also Kyle Swisher from Source of Uncertainty for giving this a shout out on the end of his. That means a lot, guys. And uh, I've had some people reach out and say that they found this through, through your guys' podcast. So I really appreciate it. Another person I wanted to thank was Claude from Deaf Esoterica, which is uh, an experimental music magazine. The day episode one was released, he took the time to post about it on Lines and Muff Wiggler and even his Twitter account. And there's been a lot of great conversations, suggestions, and feedback on those threads. So thanks for doing that, Claude, and I hope they stay active as the episodes grow here. In Seattle Lombard news, uh, some of you may have seen the Coco Qantas 2 has been updated. The center section now has drilled holes versus this resiny glass that it used to have. I wasn't crazy about the look when I first seen pictures, but uh, some people have got them in their hands now and I've seen the lights going in patches and it looks pretty sweet. And it's nice to see a little update there. In personal news, I bought a Stuber. It hasn't arrived yet, but uh, that's the Din Daten Dudero stereo filter. I really don't know much about it other than that, and I was a little bit nervous spending that much money on something I don't understand, but up to this point, I haven't had any Seattle Lombard instruments disappoint me. Um, If any of you are familiar with Matt Daniels, he has an Instagram page that is fantastic and he does a lot with Seattle Lombard Instruments. He has a Stuber, so I reached out to him and asked for some insights of what he's discovered in his time so far. And he shared some notes with me, so hopefully that'll help me dive in once it gets here. And today on the show, we have Mattis Henke of the recording project Noctopolis. Uh, I found him on Instagram doing some great work with Seattle Lombard and other instruments well before this podcast even started, and he was one of the first people I reached out to to have a conversation. I think at this point he has all the Seattle Lombard family besides for uh, a Quatrax. So he has a Sidrax, a Tetrax, a Deerhorn, a Coco, and a Plum. And he does fantastic live jams with all of these and manages to play them all at once. It's pretty impressive. I have no idea how he does it, but he makes beautiful work and it's really a treat to see. And if you do want to see it, you can check him out on Instagram. But also he runs a great YouTube page called Noctopolis Music and there's tons and tons of jams there with lots of Seattle Lombard and the rest of his esoteric gear. 
He has a full-length album out called Melacondra, and we talk about that a little bit in this episode. Since this episode's been recorded, he's also released two singles, which you can find on the Noctopolis Bandcamp, and I believe his follow-up album will be out very soon. We talk about his time drumming in an orchestra, getting into early industrial music, hearing a recording you made played back for the first time, and skipping Eurorack to jump right into CL. So with that, let's take a quick listen to his song Uphill off the album Malachandra and jump right into our chat. How did you get into music? Uh, I I think I've been into music all my life. Um, uh, I were I were drumming on cookie jars and stuff, the age of three or something. <laughs> uh, and uh, I started writing songs at about ten years old. Uh, that was. When I discovered pop music and uh, a lot of synth pop in the 80s. So, so, so like what bands were you into? Uh, I think it was uh, Human League. And, oh, yeah, and Japan, they're great. And Japan, I remember hearing Visions of China uh, by Japan on radio and completely wondering, what is this? But that wasn't a that was a time when everything that ha- had rhythm and synthesizers and uh, these kind of glistening sounds were, I recorded everything from radio onto tapes and listen. So, yeah. I think that's what everyone did back yeah. then. Yeah. And it's been coming back in a way that's pretty fun, I think. With the cassettes. Yeah, for mm. sure. So, it, I, uh, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. No, so it started uh, at about 10 years, and then music really became a thing. I, I played the drums and joined orchestras and stuff. Uh, and I was, uh, so you played with orchestras too? Uh, yes, drums and percussion. Uh, I, didn't, oh, wow. I didn't particularly like that very much indeed but that was kind of something you had to do if you were into music then you should learn your instrument and join an ensemble and use your knowledge yeah but uh, yeah I started fiddling around with piano and later on guitars and and then the first synthesizer which was a, a gen synthetone 
SX2000. I still still got it. I bought it back three, four years ago, indeed. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I use it. I still use it. It's it's got one great sound. <laughs> it sounds like a broke broken reed or something. That that's a great sound. Uh, otherwise, it's it's not very much. But I have to say, like for being such a synth nerd, I actually am not familiar with that one. No, no, no. It's it's a cheap uh, one oscillator Italian. I don't know what they thought they were doing. Probably an Italian answer uh, to some of the cheaper arps, I guess. It's it's got those sliders and and about the same sample and hold. No, not the same, but right. Yeah, you know, get the picture. You know, it's funny. For a while, like I didn't care for sliders on synths. Like it wasn't my thing at all. And then I got a music easel, and now I'm like, it's just it just feels so much more playable that way for some reason. Yeah, I like I like sliders too. I have to say, I, I like them. Uh, they all the same. But I've got here like this. Do you say sliders, faders? No, slide, sliders, yes. Sliders, faders is the same thing, I, I would assume. I, I, I've i had like three Odysseys, I think. Okay. I currently don't have one, but... Oh. <laughs> great mm-hmm. synth. Yeah, it's really... So, so yeah. And then when you started like writing your own music, like, you know, when you said you were into synth pop and everything, was there lyrics and stuff, or were you just kind of like coming up with melodies and arrangements? Uh, no, actually, for quite quite a few years, there were just lyrics and uh, singing and banging on the banging on the table, playing drums and tables like cans. Me and my brother, uh, we did a lot. But then I started playing cheap synthesizers and you know the, those home keyboards. I realized like the Casios and stuff. Yes, Yamaha uh, PS20, uh, the beach house organ. I used right. Used that a lot. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, me and my wife went for a drive the other day, and I listened to Teen Dream by Beach House, and it's uh-huh. whole for the first time in years. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> it's a great yes, album. Yes, yes, really. So, um, yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, me and a friend uh, had a few du- bands, duos, just the two of us uh, writing songs, uh, thinking in concepts. Uh, I mean, we were teenagers. It was very apocalyptic and dystopian. Uh, and we. Well, that was huge at the time, too, right? Like that dystopian kind of industrial whatever yes i, I don't think uh, we we weren't we hadn't we, ha- we weren't into that we, we had, hadn't discovered it that was later on skinny puppy and stuff fellow canadians <laughs> by the way uh, but no i think it, one of the members is from edmonton actually oh, okay yeah uh, which one <laughs> 
I'm not sure because I'm not a big skinny puppy guy, but uh, Joe, who I interviewed last night, he is. Okay. And I work with a guy um, at a local music store here who was oh. kind of good friends with him. Oh. I can't remember his name, but yeah, I miss that whole era of intense industrial electronic music, and I never really got into it. But it's good in a way because it means I always have somewhere to go if I get bored and want something new. Okay. Yes. I, I was not very much into it, but in fact, Skinny Pop is one of one of the few bands from that era that I still still kind of like. I, I like the singers. What is his name? Ogre, I think. Doing pretty good stuff nowadays too. Yeah. But I think the songwriting in the 80s, that was much about nuclear, nuclear threats. I think that that was what we were on about. I, I had a phase where I got really into like uh, minimal synth or minimal wave. And I found this band called Oppenheimer Analysis, I think it is. Are you familiar with them? No, I never heard of yeah, that was kind of their whole deal. I think one of the members was like actually worked for NASA or something. Okay. And then they made this, you know, weird minimal synth stuff with lyrics that were all about the future and, okay. you know. Yes. yes. But, but have you been into synthesizer music mostly or what's your, what's your story? I was, um, uh, yeah, no, I was a late bloomer, so I started like kind of like you. I started playing a little bit of everything and writing when I was young, and I kind of did the singer-songwriter thing. Okay. I played in bars and and whatever, and I was like all against electronic music. One of those stubborn people that's like, you know, it's not real instruments or whatever. Right. And and uh, my friend worked at a music store, and he was like showing me some stuff on a micro Korg. Okay. So this would have been about 10 years ago for me. Okay. And I wasn't into electronic music, but at the time I was making good money and I'm like, I'll buy this just to fool around with it. And uh, I did. Yeah. And then uh, I started reading a magazine because I just played the presets. And I started reading a magazine that kind of broke down what synthesis was into, you know, the functional blocks like oscillator, envelope, filter, yeah. whatever. Yes. And started making my own patches and then that was it. I bought a Moog and then it just didn't stop. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so you got that first synth, you played in an orchestra a little bit, and then... Uh, how did that story keep unfolding? Um, well, there was uh, the high school years, I think that's high school from uh, 16 to 19, those later teenage years. Uh, we were, we had quite a few bands. I was most often the drummer and we learned, learned to use uh, eight-channel uh, studios. Uh, we had a music teacher who let us uh, pay a little and be in his home studio and basically learn how to record our own music that way. Such a huge moment, eh? Yes, yes. It was a revelation, really. Uh, it was, 
I remember uh, Saturdays uh, we bought six hours of studio time at his place and then it was about just getting as much done as possible these hours and then uh, recording it down to a tape and returning home and lying on bed with the headphones on just oh we just did this it's amazing we did yes we did yes yes so that's uh, uh, from there it kind of grow and and uh, we were not into synth music as much indie rock uh, this were the this was the early 90s so we are quite much into that and then i discovered nine inch nails faith no more and those those kind of bands and uh, at the same time i listened a lot to arctic pop like pt gabriel kate bush david sylvia was a big big favorite still is in fact um, and uh, that got me into sampling so i did not play very much synthesizers and certainly not analog synthesizers because uh, you know those digital workstations came and they were the hottest things back then uh, but i liked sampling so i think in a way that's how i got more into the electronic stuff and the, in, uh, the instrumental stuff that i've been doing on and off since then um, in parallel with the songwriting right so do you still write like you know pop songs or anything or you just do your more kind of experimental or electronic stuff uh, no in fact uh, the experimental stuff i don't think it's that experimental i have to say but uh, but the more improvised stuff uh, it's just been a few years maybe two years uh, I've been writing instrumental music, uh, trying to, uh, you know, what everybody does, uh, writing music for films not existing, but writing for a narrative way. Uh, And that's been very doll-based and acoustic instruments as well, acoustic percussion and stuff. But... I think there's a little bit of that on your most recent album, right? Yes, maybe. Like a, l- a little bit of acoustic? Yeah, it might be. Uh, it might be some acoustic stuff going into the Coca Qantas, at least. Well, that makes sense. And uh, there might be a saffoon <laughs> somewhere. I think there there is a lot of samples, too. So. Yeah, I just I thought I heard a couple textures. I listened to it yesterday while I was driving, and... Uh, it's funny you mentioned the imaginary film thing because like that's all I was say. I was talking to my wife and I'm like, listen to this. This guy says he's an amateur. I'm like, this sounds like a film soundtrack. Like <laughs> it sounds epic. It sounds great. And you can tell like there's a lot of thought and detail that went into, you know, all of it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I still find it. Yeah, no, it. It's good stuff, man. It really is. Yeah, thanks. I still find it funny that you <laughs> that you say that. But I'm yes, I'm happy to hear hear it. I think the thing is, everyone does their thing, and you're gonna be your own worst critic or whatever. But hmm. at the end of the day, like 
everybody likes something. So. Yeah, of course. So, did you have a phase with like Eurorack or anything? Uh, no, I, I've never been into. Uh, I've tried VCD rack, you know, the virtual uh, Euro. Uh, but I'm. I don't think my mind doesn't work <laughs> in a way that's. Uh, I don't click with uh, with Eurorack, and I wish. Maybe, maybe one day. But I'm a bit surprised, actually, that uh, Seattle Lombard is such a thing and that I kind of get it in a way because I find Eurorack and uh, the doll-based counterparts uh, like PCB, Eurorack or Reactor, I've never gotten to it. Uh, it's, I think I'm a bit lazy <laughs> to learn and I think it's <laughs> very logical and I like to play things uh, I mean I'm a drummer and I think I'm pretty good at programming drums and playing drums but it's the most boring things program. programming drums and so on. So, uh, so I think what I like about uh, analog synthesizers and the CF Lombard stuff is uh, the instant playability uh, and the tactile, the feeling, the, the wood, the, the cables. Uh, even act, the act, smell. Even the smell, yes. Actually doing something. And I know Eurorack is about the same thing, but it, it, I think it's a bit too complicated for me <laughs> yet. Uh, so I'm never really good. I've tried a few BCV rack patches, uh, but then again, uh, uh, that was when my, I still were more into songs, uh, and then I, then I came across the Lyra Eights, and from there, <laughs> nothing was it. So was that kind of the first like esoteric piece you got the Lyra Eights? Yes, I think, uh, I think when I got the MS Twenty Mini and then the Audi, that was getting back into analog, and. Uh, rediscovering, oh, it's actually very fun to play synthesizers to turn the knobs, uh, use the sliders, and so. Uh, and then I think I started uh, watching Sonic State, I think it was, and Nick Butt tested a Lyrae. And I. Mr. PWM. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it looked amazing, and I had, I didn't have a clue about what it was, but. Uh, I like the sound, and I uh, became an addict for YouTube videos on Valeria, and uh, eventually I, I got one, which I still have and use a lot. And so I think that was the gateway uh, to the more esoteric stuff, if you, you could call it that. Because I think, yeah, one of the things you brought up, like one of the similarities there is that it too is designed to be like played right? yes like that instrument's all about playing like yes or even tuning each each sensor <laughs> uh, have you have you tried the lyra no i have not no? i've uh definitely went down the youtube rabbit hole <laughs> yes. on it that you've talked about yes. and it's it's on my curiosity list but at the moment i'm still 
a little too addicted to Peter's insurance. Yes. And uh, I think they compliment. Do you say that? Uh, compliment each other. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, because uh, the Seattle Barn stuff is finally good companions for the Lyrites. They kind of match the intensity of it because the Lyra has such a significant, significant sound, so it easily t- took over every song I tried it on. But, but I think it's good company with the Seattle Bar stuff. So, yeah. So, how did Seattle Lombard come on your radar? Like, what did you first see or hear that you were like, I have to look into this? Mm, yeah. Um, I think I saw an uh, advert for a used Tefax organ. Uh, and it now I realized that it was very cheap. And I, <laughs> so I was about, oh, should I? No, I haven't got the money and I don't really know what it is, but it looks fantastic. Uh, so I started checking it out on, on YouTube and there was this uh, user who's gone now, Smog Filter, I think the name was, that account, uh, who had a lot of tit tracks and seed tracks and lots of Seattle Lombard videos, noisy ones, uh, really. Uh, so that was. Not actually my kind of music, but still I was very intrigued. Uh, and then uh, I got into the field kit and the field kit effects. I don't remember how I learned about those, but then I ended up on Heinbach's <laughs> channel. <laughs> Everyone ends up there yes, eventually. Yes, yes, yes. And I heard the track Resolution that he did for uh, when his father passed away. And it was just such a beautiful piece of music made mainly with uh, Coco Quantas, I think. And maybe there were some other Seattle instruments too. And then I realized, oh, they may sound beautiful. They may sound harmonic, but they still got their that broken quirky quality and they I mean they are not cheap so I just maybe one day don't know uh, but I was just gonna say like the thing with them though like because I hear that come up a lot especially when you're unsure of exactly what it does you know there's not really a manual or anything no. for any of them um, the price is a little scary, but what I like versus Eurorack is every time you get a new piece, it's not a new module, it's a new instrument. Yes, yes. It's a complete, you know what I mean? It's yes. like a whole Santher world on its own. And, you know, like I've seen lately, a lot of your work is running all of them together. Yes. But I love too that you can just pull out the Tetrax or the Kogoquanis and run anything into it or use it to control anything yes. and still, you know, it, it's got a whole new purpose then. Yes, uh, exactly. Um, uh, that's the wonderful thing. I think they are almost every instrument that I've come across is pretty self-contained. I think maybe that's what 
has uh, scared me from Eurorack. It seems like that it takes a lot of building, a lot of consideration, uh, knowing what you're doing, and it uh, seems to be quite a lot of money going into the Eurorack rabbit hole too. Uh, but uh, unless, unless you're lazy like me, I just bought a make noise system and okay. stuck with oh. it. And, and to me, I, I kind of like, I've tried, you know, branching out every now and then. I keep coming back to it because it's self-contained. I think of it as an instrument versus, you know, like a custom modular system or something. Oh, that's great. And, and that helps. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's still a very different thing. And like you said, the tactility and immediacy of the Seattle Lombard stuff is exactly, I think, yes. what draws a lot of people to it. Yes, yes, I, I think so. Uh, you play the Bukla easel too, don't you? I do, yeah. yeah. That's really something. <laughs> it's it's another great instrument yes. and uh, plays very well with the Seattle Lombard uh, too. I figure. Yes. What did you get first from Seattle Lombard? Was it the Coco Quanis after that Heimbach video? Uh, I watched uh, quite a lot of Heimbach videos, and uh, yes, uh, the Coco Quantus was the first one. I think I considered the Sea Drex too because uh, I think R. Benny had uh, a few tracks. Uh, using the cigarettes that were very beautiful uh, but eventually I sold quite a lot of stuff uh, to afford the Coca Quantas I think that's just half a year since November I think uh, okay and the wonderful thing is that it, I kind of clicked with it immediately and I, I mean, I was a bit worried if I would understand or <laughs> be able to use it at all, but I think it's very intuitive. And, uh, and of course, Heimbach is <laughs> a good teacher too, so there was stuff to watch. And uh, st I started reading a lot, every thread, every Seattle thread uh, on Muff Wiggler. And, and so on. So yeah, the Coca Quantus was the first one. And then what happened? <laughs> now you know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all going that way. Uh, well, uh, then I I made a lot of uh, loops, sounds, tracks. Uh, started to use those in the. Um, uh, a lot of those tracks ended up on Malakandra. It's still a I still assemble the music in the door, uh, but uh, after a while, I started thinking, "Hmm, that drum butter, What? I wonder what it can, could do." And if what can it do? Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then it's then it's been down the rabbit hole completely. So the drum butter, and later on a Seagrax. And now, just a few days ago, I received the deer horn from Patchpoint. It seems like a... You got a beautiful build, too. Yes. It looks so good. Yes, I think so. It was a real beauty. <laughs> that, that's kind of random. You don't know where, 
I've I've ordered uh, the Coca Qantas and the Deerhorn. I ordered from Patchpoint in Berlin. Uh, the sea drugs and the plumber drive got used from other guys in Sweden and Germany. But you never know exactly what to get when you put an order. So it's kind of a surprise. I think the, the deer horn is a real beauty. Yes. I, part of the fun, too, I think, right? Is like when the mail comes, you're like, <laughs> oh boy. Yes. And I mean, it's. Uh, the child inside uh, has a great time with those uh, colors, the smell, uh, the colorful cables. <laughs> so, uh, I think, yeah, something, something basic, <laughs> um, basic in them. But I feel it's very affecting. No. Well, whatever. Yeah, it's definitely that. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the things you're saying is kind of exactly why I wanted to start this podcast. Because, you know, like I said, when I started doing prettier music, for lack of a better word, with the Seattle Lombard stuff, people would message me like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't understand this. Okay. But then you talk to anyone that has it and like it's super intuitive yes, yes you know like the color jacks the way like sometimes you just have to play you can't read a manual and know but once you start using it like it makes so much sense it's not as scary as it looks when you don't know anything or have never touched it like not at all no exactly it's no it's not not scary at all uh, I mean there are some parts of the fun but I still don't really get I I have to. Yeah, I have taken some notes about the man with the red steam. I, I never received to remember how how do you do this? How do you put up a sequence that, that, that that's actually running? But I think such a lot of it is so intuitive, intuitive, um, and uh, and that was a great surprise. I think yeah, it's. It's very musical, <laughs> as I would say. No, but it, it, it really is very musical and uh, expressive. Even, uh, even the instruments that you just patch, I mean, the Coco Qantas, uh, you put things into it, but it's like playing it anyway, I think. So, yeah, it's, it's really changed how I, uh, both how I make music. Yeah. For good and bad, and but um, but mainly, I'm playing much more. It's more like playing the drums just for fun, uh, just for being here and now, or playing the piano. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. It's it's really a a way of yeah being in presence, being here now uh, and at the same time then it's a challenge to know what am I going to use this for maybe I'm not going to use it at all uh, but it was worth the time and the and the feeling it's evoked right it 
it definitely brings the fun back into the yes. music making process, right? It takes the work away. Even if you don't know what you're doing and you're just exploring, I think it it takes that work mentality away and you're just like, you just go. Yes, yes. Uh, it's it's playful. I, I mean, I spend a lot of time with these instruments and I never spend the time uh, in that way with other synthesizers or uh, individual instruments at all. Maybe the guitar, maybe the piano, but, but no electronic instruments has worked like this for me. So it's yeah, it's really something. I've seen that uh, your wrists have been getting a great workout since you got the deer horn. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. That that very first track you posted was just like, I, I like don't have the money right now, but I was so close to just going <laughs> and adding to my cart because it sounded so good. Yes. Uh, I think the gesture thing, uh, which I mean... That amounts a lot of training, but uh, that's very. What should I say? Uh, I like that. Just moving your hands and making sounds, moving your hands in the air like that. I, I, I've ha I had a theremin for a couple of years, but I never learned to master it, and eventually I sold it because uh, I couldn't justify keeping it. It took a lot of space uh, I didn't know how to actually use it in music but the deer horn is uh, yes I mean it is a theremin for <laughs> for non-thereminists I guess um, totally but yes the, the gesture thing it's, it's a very nice experience uh, when uh, improvising and I, I I actually like the tricky tuning of it you know <laughs> the three horns and you have to tune the intervals but uh, yeah it's kind of mindful <laughs> what I've noticed too when tuning the deer horn is like I'm not listening for like a pitch or anything and I think even Heimbach mentioned this in his video on it it's like you just listen for what sounds good, and I don't know if it's atonal or what sometimes, but it, whatever the frequencies beat the right way, and it just, it works. Yes. And there, yeah, there's something fun about that, not knowing, but also it works. Yes, yes. And I think uh, an interesting thing, for me at least, is uh, that the lira, the Seattle Bard instruments, um, they've made me listen to music in another way because all this i mean i fine-tune stuff as good as i as good as i as my ear <laughs> is able to but there is still a lot of imperfections uh, which make which makes everything kind of alive in another sense than uh, traditional synthesizers and and uh, plugins, and I think that's changed my whole listening experience. If I try a plugin now, it's oh, it's so perfect, and I kind of I'm not I'm not into that 
that much anymore. I want that, you know, I can't find the words here, but you know, that slightly out of tune and breathing, uh, fluctuating things in music. But I... Yeah, it just feels a lot. Yes. You know? So I think we're getting pretty close to time here, Mm -hmm. but before we go, um, would you mind just talking a little bit about your most recent album? I know there's a little bit of a story to it and whatever, and uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your most recent album Mm -hmm. and perhaps what's to follow. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's called uh, Malakandra, and that's the word for the planet Mars. Mars or March? Mars, right. Mars. Yes, Mars. Uh, an old science fiction story written by C.S. Lewis, uh, the guy with the Narnia books. I was very much into fantasy at, at a younger age, and that's still a big nostalgic thing for me. So I made a lot of music uh, for those books and the Tolkien stuff, and the, maybe not to tell the story, but to have something to to have that narrative and try to express different themes and uh, sceneries in music. And um, that's important to me overall, I think, when, I mean, if we're talking ambient music and instrumental music, electronic stuff, uh, it's important when I listen to the things that I feel that it's got uh, some kind of story, movement. Uh, and uh, I listened yesterday to R. Benny's latest album, Natural Fiction, and I think that's something is happening all the time, and you're brought on a journey. And uh, I think I use those concepts, those made up stories, fiction stuff, to have a framework. So I don't end up doing the same thing all over. Maybe it sounds like that anyway, but... Uh, so Malakandra is uh, kind of a... Uh, music for the book uh, Out of the Silent Planet. Uh, but it's just loosely connected to the themes. It's more like a framework, a feeling. Uh, I like that novel very much when I was younger. It's very colorful and I thought that old science fiction thing uh, worked well with the Lyra and the Seattle Bard came that I got halfway into recording it. So that's kind of a transition between the older instrumental stuff I've done before and the more exploring the things I'm busy with now. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm working on a, on a... What do you call it? Like a follow-up yes, album? Yes, yeah, follow-up. I'm working on a follow-up album. I think that will be more, more of both light and shade. Uh, and the challenge is to, I still want to use uh, a couple of acoustic uh, sounds and I still make it in the door. 
but uh, there will be much more of the Seattle Bard instruments used because that's mainly what I do these days. So I'm, yeah, working on it. Summer is coming, vacation, so <laughs> hopefully I'll get things done. Um, you, your YouTube channel is that Noctopolis Music? Is that yes, what yes. it is? That's right. Yeah. So that's a good place for people to check out what you're doing with your collection of Seattle Lombard in the meantime as well. Yes, I guess so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about does it. I could probably talk to you forever. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> it was very nice talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Mm, thank and, you. And uh, maybe if all goes well, we'll get you back again after the summer vacation and the follow-up album mm. comes out. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> very fun to talk about this stuff. There's not a lot of people around in Uppsala or in Sweden, I think, using this stuff. So it's it's good to have fellow addicts. 